Okay, morning everyone. Yeah, so for me, this time of fasting, I'm thinking about um, a lot of people asking me, oh, when's the church going to be able to gather again? And when's the church going to be able to get back together? You know, it's one of those questions that nobody knows the answer to in this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I think the church is brilliant at gathering and gathering is really important. We could gather with our eyes closed, really. I'm more concerned about mobilising the church. So when we are allowed to gather again, obviously we'll sort out all the logistics and we'll work out how we can uh, fit um, the amount of people in the room, et cetera, et cetera, and we'll gather. We know how to gather. We've been gathering as a church for decades, but I want to mobilise us, church. I want you to be mobilised. I want you to be mobilised. I want us to be sent. I want us to be going out and doing what God has called us to do. I don't just want us to gather again and it just to feel like it's always felt, you know, God is doing a new thing and then we need to mobilise. So I'm going to be praying and fasting and asking God for a strategy for evangelism. Okay, so Easter was six weeks ago. It feels like a lifetime away, doesn't it? Can anyone even remember Easter Sunday? It's like six Sundays ago, Resurrection Sunday, when Rich was here with Jamie and Jamie was sharing his testimony. Absolute lifetime ago. If you were one of the disciples at that time in Jerusalem or Galilee, you would be right, right in it now waiting for what Jesus promised. Jesus said to them, wait in Jerusalem and I will send the promised Holy Spirit. So I wonder what the disciples were up to. Scripture gives us a hint or two about what they were doing. But from Resurrection Sunday, which was six weeks ago, to next Sunday, which is the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Jerusalem, what were the disciples up to? Has anyone ever thought about that? It says in the Bible, it says, for 40 days... Jesus appeared to them. So after Jesus was raised from the dead on Resurrection Sunday, he appeared to them. And there's lots of different accounts in the gospel of Jesus appearing to them. But then after he'd appeared to them for 40 days, he was ascended back to heaven and he told them, wait in Jerusalem. So after that, there were still nine more days for them to wait for what was going to be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So I want to speak about waiting I want to speak about waiting on God. Yeah, thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you. You know what my friends are waiting for. You know what is on their hearts. So, Lord, I pray as I speak today that you would speak above and beyond what I say. Yeah, thank you. Waiting on God. So I think that waiting is a really healthy thing. For me, waiting, it can indicate a belief in a God who's alive and it can indicate that we are in a relationship with God and we're actively waiting for him to do something. We believe that God does things and so we're waiting for him to do them. I think waiting can indicate faith and hope and expectation and hunger and vision. For example, for me personally, and may, may God remind you what you're waiting for as I share this, for me personally, I'm waiting for a revival in Debden Many, many years ago, the Lord prophesied over Debden that there would be revival for the, through the children. I'm waiting to see that revival in Debden. I'm waiting to see Debden, a place where people are coming to the Lord in their thousands. 
because something has happened in the spiritual realm over this community. I'm waiting for the salvation of my family. I'm waiting for my parents to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm waiting to baptize them. I'm waiting to baptize my brother. I'm waiting to see them become the people that God created them to be. I'm waiting for transformation for Ollie and Abby, my teenagers at home. I'm waiting for a miracle for Hope House so I can move into a bigger house. I'm waiting on a strategy for evangelism from God. I'm waiting to come out of lockdown. I'm waiting for the pandemic to end. I'm waiting for the return of Jesus. Jesus is coming back and I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for the new heaven and the new earth. I'm waiting for Iceland to stop vegan sausage rolls. I'm waiting for fresh waters to serve soya milk. I'm waiting for the factory shop to open so I can get my new spring jacket. Well, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? How we wait is key. How we wait is essential. Waiting well is something that we need to do. So we're going to zoom in on what some of the disciples were doing while they were waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're going to zoom in and have, just have a look at what they were up to and see what we can learn from them. So first of all, we're going to look at Cleopas and his friend. So you find their story in Luke 24. So Jesus has died. This is right fresh off the back of the crucifixion, this story. So they, they, they haven't yet experienced the resurrection. They don't, they're not sure that it's happened. So Cleopas and his friend are taking a walk. It's found in Luke 24 and it's verses 13 to 32. Now I'm going to read from the Passion Translation because it reads so beautifully when you're reading aloud. It's so, it's so beautifully written. It's like storybook language. So I'm going to read about Cleopas and his friend. So at the moment... Some of the women have been to the tomb and Jesus isn't in the tomb and they've come back and they've told the disciples and the jury's still out, basically. They're like, mm, what's happened to the body then? So reading from verse 13, Luke 24. Later that day, two of Jesus's disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a journey of about seven miles. They were in the midst of a discussion about all of the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them on their journey. They were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them because God had prevented them from recognizing, recognizing him. Jesus said to them, you seem to be in deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? So sad and gloomy. Note that. Note the mood. Note the atmosphere on the walk to Emmaus. Cleopas and his friend, sad and gloomy, talking about everything that's happened. They stopped and the one named Cleopas answered, haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? Jesus asked, what things? The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful and he had great favour with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. We had all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and it was empty. They claimed that two angels appeared to them and told them that Jesus was alive. 
some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly like the woman said, but no one has seen him. Jesus said to them, why are you so thick headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to experience all these sufferings and then afterwards enter into his glory? Then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. He started from the beginning and explained the writings of Moses, all of the prophets, and he showed them how they all wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. As they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead telling the men he was going to a distant place, but they urged him to remain there and they pleaded, stay with us, it will be dark soon. So Jesus went with them to the village. Joining them at the table for supper, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And all at once their eyes were open. They realised it was Jesus. Suddenly, in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their eyes. Stunned, the men looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognise it was him? Didn't our hearts burn with flames of holy passion while he walked beside us? He unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scripture. And they hurried back and went and told the other disciples that they'd seen him. Now let's have a think about that walk to Emmaus. It starts off with two sad and gloomy disciples looking at all the facts, discussing what had happened in Jerusalem. We thought he was going to rescue Israel and now he's dead in a tomb, crucified. His body has been broken and he is in a tomb. Sad and gloomy looking at the facts. Enter Jesus. Jesus begins to unlock the scriptures for them. He supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive revelation from the scripture. And as Jesus did that, their testimony was that their hearts burned with flames of holy passion. Their hearts were strangely warmed as Jesus revealed the scriptures to them. Now, at that point, when their hearts were warmed and they started to look at the scriptures, as far as they knew, the circumstances hadn't changed. But what was changing was their perspective. Jesus was changing their perspective by reminding them that the scriptures said that this would happen. The scriptures, the scriptures have already prophesied that this would happen. So their circumstances at that point are still the same. They're still walking on the road to Emmaus, but their perspective is changing. Their minds are changing. They're beginning to look at their circumstances through the lens of scripture. When the pandemic first started and I felt that fear rising up in me, what's going to happen? We're totally out of control. I, I turned immediately to the scripture. I read the book of Revelation, just like June said. I read it over and over again. I began to look at the world, world history, world pandemics through the lens of scripture. I began to remember Jesus is coming back. I began to remember Jesus prophesied that this kind of thing would happen. And do you know what happened to me as I looked at the pandemic through the lens of scripture? I felt peace. I felt passion. I felt power. My heart was strangely warmed. No longer was I afraid of catching an infection. More to the point, I was excited about being ready for the return of Jesus and spending my time telling people about Jesus. It's because nothing could change. The situation didn't change. No scientists created a vaccine. No cure was found for COVID-19. But I began to look at the pandemic through the lens of scripture. The circumstances didn't change, but my perspective completely changed. So that's a big thing. 
small things. We need to look through the lens of scripture. In my household at the moment, and I know you're all going to be able to relate to this, there's a lot of dynamics going on, household dynamics, household dynamics that are very testing and very challenging. I began to look at it through the lens of scripture. I read Luke 6, where Jesus commands his disciples to be kind to the unthankful, because God is kind to the unthankful. I began to dig a bit deeper about what that word kindness means. It means undefeatable benevolence and unconquerable goodwill. So I went to the scriptures feeling defeated, full of resentment, and like I was about to strangle someone. And I came away from those scriptures, a woman with undefeatable benevolence and unconquerable goodwill. My goodwill will not be conquered. I am a follower of Christ. I will not be conquered. My goodwill, my friendliness, my generosity will not be conquered by this situation. I will not sit in self-pity and resentment. I will not be bitter. I am a woman of undefeatable benevolence and unconquerable goodwill. Thank you, Jesus. You are kind to the ungrateful and so am I. Kindness, it's the ability to act for the welfare of those taxing your patience. Yes, Lord. I can do this. I left that time with Jesus in Luke 6, fresh, ready to go and clean the kitchen. Let the scriptures sink in and wash over you. We're big grown up Christians. We need to interpret our life through the scriptures. We need to interpret our circumstances through the scriptures. We need to interpret what's going on in the world through the scriptures. If you're sick and unwell, what do the scriptures tell you about that? If you're lacking, what do the scriptures tell you about that? We need to interpret life through the scriptures. We need our minds to be renewed by the scriptures. Our circumstances might not change, but our perspective can change when we interpret everything through the scriptures. So just like Cleopas and his friend that day, they went from being sad and gloomy to having hearts burning with flames of holy passion. That's how you wait. When you're waiting on God for something, that's how you wait. You wait, interpreting everything through the scriptures and you can proclaim the scriptures over the situation and you can, you can declare out what the scriptures say over your situation. We interpret everything through the scriptures. So thank you, Cleopas and his friend and your burning heart. Okay, uh, next person I want to look at is Thomas. So Thomas... He's found in John 20, uh, verse 24. Again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. So Jesus had appeared to some of his disciples and Thomas hadn't been there. I don't know where Thomas was. I like to let my imagination run right. Maybe he was out getting supplies. Who knows? He wasn't there anyways. And Jesus had appeared to them. So in... John 20, verse 24. Again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Um, one of the 12 wasn't present when Jesus appeared to them. It was Thomas, whose nickname was the twin. So the disciples informed him, we have seen the Lord with our own eyes. Unconvinced. Thomas replied, there's no way I'm going to believe this unless I personally see the wounds of the nails in his hands touch them with my finger and put my hand into the wound of his side where he was pierced. So eight days later, Thomas and all the others were in the house together. And even though all the doors were locked, Jesus suddenly stood before them. 
peace to you, he said. And then looking into Thomas's eyes, he said, put your finger here in the wounds of my hands. Here, put your hand into my wounded side and see for yourself. Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. Then the words spilled out of his heart. You are my Lord and you are my God. Jesus responded, Thomas, now that you've seen me, you believe. But there are those who have never seen me with their eyes, but have believed in me with their hearts. And they will be blessed even more. I think it kind of speaks for itself, probably what I want to say about Thomas, but just follow the advice of Jesus. Don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe whatever it is you're waiting for. If, if it's something that God has put in your heart, if it's something that God has promised you, if it's something that you can find in the scripture that is your, yours to take on board for your life, simply believe. Don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. Now, the last thing I want to look at is Peter. I'm not sure when exactly this happened between the death and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension. But at some point, Peter was back in Galilee. So let's read about it. It's in John 21. And it's uh, verse 1 to 19. So... Jesus appears at the Lake of Galilee. So John 21, verse 1. Um, again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. So later, Jesus appeared once again to a group of disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened one day while Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and the other two disciples were all together. Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they all replied, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and fished through the night and caught nothing. Then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realise it was him. He called out to them saying, hey guys, did you catch any fish? Not a thing, they replied. Jesus shouted to them, throw your net over the starboard side and you'll catch some. And they did, as he said, and they caught so many fish that they couldn't even pull the net. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter heard him say that, he quickly wrapped his garment around him, dove right into the lake and went to Jesus. The other disciples brought the boat to shore, dragging their catch of fish. They weren't far from the land, only about 100 metres. And when they got to shore, they noticed the charcoal fire with some roasted fish and veg. <laughs> veg. Bread. <laughs> Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Peter waded into the water and helped them pull the net to shore. It was full of many large fish, 153 exactly, and the net was not turned, torn. Come, let's have some breakfast, Jesus said to them. Not one of the disciples needed to ask who it was because every one of them knew it was the Lord. Jesus came close to them and served them the bread and fish. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. After they had had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated his question a second time. Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? Peter was saddened by being asked a third time. And he said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. Then Jesus replied, Peter, feed my lambs. 
When you were younger, you made your own choices and went where you pleased. But one day, when you're old, others will tie you up and escort you where you would not choose to go. And you will spread out your arms. Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And then he said to Peter, follow me. Did, any, did anyone else smell a rat when Peter went back out fishing? Did any of you think to yourself when Peter said to the other disciples, I'm going out fishing, hang on a minute, he's not meant to be fishing. Jesus said to him, you're going to become a fisher of men. And Peter had gone back to fish for fish. He wasn't meant to be out fishing. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing. That was what Peter was up to. And then Jesus comes. Jesus appears to him. And in that conversation they have with each other after they've had breakfast, Jesus reminded him who he was. He was the rock on which Jesus was going to build his church. And he recommissioned Peter. He recommissioned Peter telling him, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. And he reminded him those words that he spoke to him when he first met him, follow me, come follow me. And I believe that when Jesus spoke those words into Peter or when he speaks them into any person, when he says, come follow me, they're compelling words. They're words when you hear them in your own spirit, when you hear the Lord Jesus Christ asking you to come follow me, it compels you to get in line and do what God has called you to do. So in that moment when Peter was recommissioned by Jesus, fishing became something that Peter wasn't going to do with his time anymore. He was going to follow Jesus. So what I want to say in the waiting, whatever it is that you're waiting for, now is not the time to quit and go back. Now is not the time to go back to your old life. Now is not the time to go back to your old ways. Even if it's calling you, maybe the lake, and the fish and the boats were calling Peter inside. Maybe he's thinking, do you know what? I'm just going to go back fishing. But that was Peter quitting. Now is not a time to quit. What has God called you to do? In these moments, may you be reminded of what God has called you to do. In these moments, may you be reminded of what God has said to you when he says, come, follow me. What has Jesus asked you to do with your life? It's not to go back. Jesus isn't asking you to go back to your old ways, to your old life. Jesus isn't asking you to go back to your old thinking. Jesus has called you for, for a purpose. We are Christ's masterpiece, created anew in Christ to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us today. And we need to remind ourselves of that truth this morning because I believe the enemy will come against us. He does not want to see flourishing, fruitful Christians who are following Jesus because do you know what any Christian who is following Jesus any Christian who is doing what the father is doing like Anthony showed us in that picture he got will bear fruit for the kingdom of God and the enemy does not want the kingdom of God to have any fruit so if the enemy is tempting you to go back you need to stand up today and you need to tell him no you're not going back you're following Jesus now is not the time to quit keep your eyes on the prize like Karen said keep your eyes fixed on Jesus what is our number one priority what is our number one priority kingdom of God is our number one priority kingdom of God is our number one priority we were called to serve the kingdom of God when you got called by Christ when Christ said to you to come follow me he called you to make the kingdom of God his number one priority so anything else that is trying to come and become your number one priority has to bow and submit to the kingdom of God because that's our number one priority 
calling the calling of God on our lives is to be followed, not to be quit. We're not to quit. Now is not the time to quit. Now is the time to commit. Now is the time in our hearts again to say, Jesus, I said that I would follow you. I am following you. So I'm committing to you once again this morning. So church, I want to encourage us to wait well. And I want to encourage us to be like Cleopas and look at life through the lens of scripture and let our hearts burn with passion as we see everything through the lens of scripture. I want to encourage us to be like Thomas who believed when he saw the Lord, he believed. And I want to encourage us to be like Peter and I want to encourage us to commit and to follow Peter. Not follow, but don't follow Peter. <laughs> follow Jesus. So who do you relate to in that story? Or what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about specifically? Do you need to get a scriptural perspective on yourself, on your situation, on the world? Do you need to be reminded what the Bible says about you rather than what the inner voice says about you? Do you need to know once again afresh what the scriptures are saying about your circumstances? Can you relate to that? Or do you relate to Thomas where you're just tempted to doubt, to doubt that there's any power in the resurrected Christ? Or do you relate to Peter where you feel like that drag and that pull back to being in the wrong place at the wrong time? And actually you want to be aligned with Jesus. You want to be doing the right thing in the right way. You want to be in the right place. Have a think about who you relate to. Okay, last bit of scripture that I'm going to read is in Acts. And this is what we're going to, um, I'm going to speak about this next week. So it's Acts chapter 1, 2 to 8. So there were other appearances. I've, I've mentioned three appearances of Jesus to his disciples, but there were others. And now this is the last one, Acts chapter 1, verse 2. Just before he ascended into heaven, he left instructions for the apostles he had chosen by the Holy Spirit. After the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to the same apostles over a 40-day period. Jesus proved to them with many convincing signs that he had been resurrected. And during these encounters, he taught them the truths of the kingdom of God and shared meals with them. Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you have received the gift I told you about, the gift the Father has promised. For John baptised you in water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Every time they were gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is it now the time for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he answered, the Father is the one who sets the fixed dates and the times of their fulfilment. You are not permitted to know the timing of all he has prepared by his own authority, but I promise you this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces and even to the remotest places on earth. And then Jesus went up and was ascended into heaven. So they were waiting for the next nine days in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise to be filled with power so they could be witnesses. So have a think about that this week as well. Think about that. Try and get in the zone and think about what it would have been like for the disciples waiting to receive that power. And you know that they did receive that power. And that's what we're going to speak about next week. And then 
Thank God, hallelujah, we've received that power also. If you're born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, you too have been filled with power to be a witness. So hopefully you're not just looking at life through your circumstances. Hopefully you're not doubting and hopefully you're not in the wrong place quitting because you have been filled with power on hire to be his witnesses.